On your Wednesday episode of Locked On Raptors, the Raptors didn't technically win the draft lottery, but with the Blazers moving up to three, did they, in fact, have all sorts of brand new exciting avenues opened up for this summer? I'll explain why I think that's the case coming up on today's episode of Locked On Raptors. All that and more. Thanks so much for hanging. Oh, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on and welcome to another episode of Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Wednesday, May the 17th, and I'm your host, Sean Woodley. I've been covering the Toronto Raptors now for nine seasons on various platforms. You can find all my work over on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can follow the show on Instagram at Locked On Raptors. And of course, join the Locked On Raptors Discord server. The link is in the description of the show, whether you're listening on audio or watching on video. Come hang out. It's super fun in the Discord. Lots of fake trade scenarios. Great reaction to the lottery last night. Good chats. Uh, it's a wonderful time. Jump into the Discord. Come hang out with the Locked On Raptors. Raptors listening community, and uh, thanks as always to the everydayers who make the show part of their day, their first listen every day, each and every Monday through Friday. All right, on today's show, oh, I forgot, I should say, subscribe to the show and all that stuff as well, rate, review, subscribe on YouTube, etc., etc., etc. You've heard the call to action a million times, go do it, do the action. Anyway, today's show, we're reacting to the NBA draft lottery in which the Raptors did not move up at all. But there were potentially some happenings that maybe make this offseason a little more interesting for the Raptors, maybe a little easier to pivot into a young competitive window. We'll get to that in just a second. We're also going to dig into what happens if they just stick at 13, which is very likely. Uh, always bet against trades happening, I think, is sort of the, the common rule of thumb. And honestly, 13, not so bad in this year's draft, and I'll dig into why that is. Lastly, we'll take a little check-in on the coaching carousel. We'll talk about Monty Williams a little bit more in depth. I know I mentioned him yesterday on the show, but he was fired, of course, by the Phoenix Suns. I think he could be a potentially good fit with the Raptors, but there might be some red flags there, too. And Becky Hammond suspended for two games by the WNBA for uh, some not not a great look, not some great stuff going on down there. We'll get into that a little bit uh, with Becky Hamm and how it maybe affects her coaching prospects with the Raptors, whether it should or not, uh, double standards, all that stuff. We'll get to that down the line. But let's begin today's show, shall we, with the Blazers, everyone's favorite non-Toronto Raptors team, right? Everyone loves the Blazers. Everyone loves trying to trade for the Blazers players, and they moved up last night in the draft lottery while the Raptors stood still at 13. The Blazers moved up from 5 to 3, and they were already going to be a team that the Raptors were tied to, potentially. Of course, all of the word out of Portland is that they're trying to maximize Dame Lillard's prime or whatever's left of it uh they want to build a good team around him as like they should be doing dame's awesome he wants to be there when a really good player wants to be in your city you do everything you can to build a good good team around said player it's partly why i am perfectly fine with keeping pascal siakam around on the raptors who's extremely good is an all-nba level player and uh he wants to be here and you should try to maximize that however 
I do think that the odds that Pascal Siakam is not on the Toronto Raptors, I don't know if they like swung significantly, but I do think the odds he's not on the team next year just they, they took a little bit of an uptick that uh, you know along with the move up to number three for the Blazers, just a little uptick because I think the potential is there now for a really interesting sort of we both get what we want here kind of trade if the Raptors and Blazers want to play ball with one another. Let me explain. So, Joe Cronin, the uh, GM of the Blazers, spoke to Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports last night uh, and said this, quote, we're a team that's trying to win and trying to maximize Damian Lillard's timeline. This was important. This was an important night for us, Portland General Manager Joe Cronin told Yahoo Sports. Front offices around the league think highly of this draft, so you would think that a lot of teams that were sitting on stage tonight will be getting a lot of calls from teams trying to move up and maneuver this feels like saying we're going to trade this pick without saying we're going to trade this pick. I don't know if it's like the best negotiating position to have this be your stance on lottery night. Um, but Jake Fisher did go on to say that, that there could potentially be a lot of teams calling up for that number three pick. And I think the team that got the number two pick makes this even more interesting for the Raptors as the Hornets are drafting number two behind the Spurs. Yeah, yeah, great for the Spurs. Wonderful. They get the big generational big man. We've seen this movie before. I'm not moved. Uh, come up with some new ideas. Hollywood's dead. There's no new fresh ideas. Pay the writers. Uh, anyway, um, the Hornets, number two, you know, in theory, Scoot Henderson has been the guy who's been, you know, shopped around as the number two prospect, the clear number two prospect, the guy with the sort of franchise potential for years now. It's been a long time coming that Scoot's been projected as the number two guy. But, of course, the Hornets, well, they're the Hornets, and they do dumb things like not taking the best player available and drafting per position and stuff like that. And with LaMelo Ball already on their team, there's a very real chance, and it's already been mocked in plenty of mock drafts and kind of almost not telegraphed, but at least acknowledged as a possibility by Mitch Kupchak, dude who runs the Hornets himself, that maybe they go for position at number two and take Brandon Miller out of Alabama and not Scoot Henderson at number two, which again would benefit anyone potentially trying to trade for that three pick to get Scoot Henderson, who most people say is a better prospect than Brandon Miller. But of course, the Hornets are dumb, and they do dumb things all the time. And so this would I would not put it past them to just go take Brandon Miller at two, not even think about trading down to maximize assets or anything like that. Just do the thing where, yeah, Brandon Miller, positions, let's go. And maybe that works for them. Great. Um, if it does happen that way, and Scoot Henderson's there at number three, that's where I think the Raptors come in. And it's, it's queasy, right? I, I think the idea of making a big Pascal Siakam trade this offseason, it doesn't make me super happy and loving and, and you know, warm inside. Pascal's awesome. He is a, a dude who I have said I think very well should and could be a forever Raptor, and I'd be 100% okay with that. At the same time, Scoot Henderson is a game changer, potentially. And... What are the Raptors, if not opportunistic? This is their whole thing. They're opportunistic. They wait for moments where they can strike. This is what happened with the Kawhi trade. And if you come across a team in the Blazers that at number three is already kind of telegraphing, yeah, we're probably going to move this pick to help bolster the Dame Lillard timeline, this is that kind of opportunity that Masai Ujiri loves to jump on. And look, I don't think in my heart of hearts he wants to trade Pascal Siakam, but... <laughs> Again, opportunism. This is what Masai is all about. And 
I think it's a very real opportunity potentially to capitalize on a team that is forced to sort of do short-term thinking in the interest of building a team around Damian Lillard. And maybe there's an offer to be made where you can move Pascal Siakam to become Dame Lillard's new co-star, which, boy, oh boy, that would be a kick-ass tandem. I would love watching Pascal and Dame play together. It would be like a supercharged version of the Kyle Siakam two-man game that we saw just eviscerate teams in 2019-20. You get Dame Lillard's pull-up shooting and offensive prowess, and man, that would be a lot of fun. It would give the Blazers a lot of juice in a conference where... It doesn't seem like you have to be like that great to make a deep run. I still don't think the Lakers are good, but I don't think the Lakers are like uh, incredible or anything like that. And they're in the conference finals. And so maybe that's the kind of move the Blazers feel like they have to make. I have a fake trade proposal, and I'll be doing more on this. I'm hoping to get Mike Richmond a locked on Blazers on the podcast for Friday. But in the event on draft night, it comes through that it goes Wembenyama one, Brandon Miller two to the Hornets, and Scoot Henderson's there at three. You call up, I'm sure you do this call beforehand and have this sort of in place as like a tentative agreement if it does go down this way in the draft, but you call up Joe Cronin and you offer this. Pull it up the screen, I'll explain the trade. The Toronto Raptors trade Pascal Siakam to the Portland Trailblazers. In return, they get Anferny Simons, Nasir Little, and the third overall pick, thus Scoot Henderson. This deal for the Raptors, it you know, revitalizes the guard position for sure. You get Anthony Simons, who is not my favorite player in the world. I, I have serious questions about his defense, but the dude can hit shots. The dude can create for himself. That's super valuable. A team that doesn't have a lot of self-creation. He's the kind of guy I think would pair really nicely with Scotty Barnes, for example. You can kind of have them both trade off with playmaking duties, etc. I think there's a world in which Simons fits. I, I was never on board of like Simons is the crown jewel of a trade that sends Pascal or even OG Ananobi out the door. But if the crown jewel is Scoot Henderson at number three and he becomes your point guard for the next seven to ten years, then maybe, just maybe, it's all right. Look, you set yourself up with a pretty small backcourt with Scoot and Simons. You'll have to work around that. An OG Scotty Yak, you know, front court would be excellent defensively, you would assume, uh, and, and, you know, maybe kind of make up for that a little bit. You know, Scoot seems like he's got the sort of athleticism and, and sort of build to be a good on-ball defender, at least. Um, you know, Simons, you could probably work around his defensive deficiencies, and his offensive punch would be really valuable. We see lots of teams right now in the NBA work around poor defensive players. The Nuggets are in the conference finals and they have uh, Michael Porter Jr. out there, for example. The the Lakers have D'Angelo Russell and Dennis Schroeder playing a whole bunch of minutes, etc., etc. So maybe you don't have to be so ironclad on defense like you used to have to be back in the day. Nasir Little as well, I think a nice little throw-in on this trade would add some bench depth, of course, some versatility to lineups. You could go big and kind of throw him in there as like a two, for example. Um, he's had injury issues, of course, over the years. Is really, I think he's played more, no more than like 54 games in a season. Um, but he's 23, like sneakily, super-duper young. He's on a contract of $6 million or so bucks a year for the next three years beyond this one. That's really fascinating. So that trade to me seems like it could potentially kind of scratch both teams' backs, if, if, if you know, as it were. And for the Blazers, I mean, they I think they take it because Pascal is maybe the best they're going to get. And the nice thing about this potential situation is if there is a bidding war for that third pick, normally with these sort of trades that pop up, these, all right, disgruntled star wants out, you're talking about p- trade packages that feature tons of picks. And the Raptors don't have tons of picks. They don't have extra picks on hand. They owe a pick next year as well. 
And so they're not going to be in the conversations for a Carl Anthony Towns or like even a Joel Embiid if he decides he wants out of Philly, which I don't think will happen. But if he does, they're not going to have the stuff to go make that happen draft pick wise. And we see these big superstar trades are always draft pick you know, based at this point. And a big part of it is the appeal of getting the control of a draft pick of the draft picks of a team that could have a really bad downside after the sort of first couple years or so of a trade. And so I think with the Blazers, I mean, they're not going to be in the market for picks. They're in the market for players who can help Dame win right now. Pascal is very much that. The only competition you could see is if another disgruntled star comes available and they, you know, that team is looking at Scoot Henderson and saying, hey, here's our disgruntled star. Will you give him to us for number three? And if that player is better than Pascal, then maybe the Raptors are drawing dead there, in which case that's probably fine because as we're going to get to in a second, the 13th overall pick, not so bad. And having Pascal Siakam on your team, not so bad either. I don't do this. I don't consider this if Brandon Miller's at three and not Scoot Henderson. I think the positional overlap uh, and just sort of like, you know, Miller, great. He had the great NCAA tournament. He got the NCAA tournament bump. I, you know, not to mention all the off-court stuff tied to him, the sort of uncertain nature of all of that, but um, just in terms of positional overlap, you've got OG, you've got Scotty, Brandon Miller slots in on the wing as well. Uh, you kind of are in the same predicament you have right now. Yes, he's a better shooter than Pascal, but Pascal is clearly going to be a better player for the foreseeable future, just because that's what happens with young players. They take time to figure things out, and so, like... The upside of Brandon Miller is, wow, what if he became Pascal Siakam one day? Wouldn't that be a great outcome for whoever takes him? You've already got Pascal Siakam. You have the chance to lock him in for the next four or five years as well. Uh, I have no problem just balking on this if it's not Scoot Henderson available there at three. If it is Scoot, though... I think we're talking, and I'll be talking with Mike Richmond later on this week, hopefully on Friday, to uh, dig into this very, very spicy meatball of a potential fake trade for the Raptors and the Blazers. One of the rare fake trades, I think, that, again, kind of does work for both sides. Maybe the Raptors have to sweeten it a little bit. Maybe they have to throw in 13 to make it justifiable um, to swap those picks as well. But we'll get into that with Mike Richmond later on this week. Go listen to Mike Richmond's podcast, by the way. He's got a great episode up today uh, that I'm sure will be mentioning the Raptors at some point within. All right, on the other side, we're going to get into the 13th pick and why, if they stay there, I think that's perfectly, perfectly fine. And the number of options there for the Raptors to address real needs Makes me very comfortable with where they're going to be at if that is the case. We'll get to that in just a sec. But first, got to tell you about a new sponsor here on the show, and it's Bird Dogs. And look, I'm someone who always struggles with shorts. I always have trouble with the right length. I have weird legs. I also have, look, I don't need to like mince words here. I have an enormous caboose. And so shorts are tough for me. I, I love wearing shorts. I like the way they make my legs look and all that stuff. Um, I like showing off those those bike, bike thighs and all that that I tend to sort of accrue over the course of a summer on the bike. But again, always finding the right fit is hard. Bird Dogs makes it super easy. They are all about fit, comfort, and versatility. So you can wear them anytime you can wear them with anything they're super versatile and uh their comfort like the fabric the stretchy fabric makes your legs look great there's no issue with fit and they again can kind of go with any outfit or any occasion you can go work out in them you can take them out when you're going for a date whatever it might be go check them out right now if you go to bird dogs and uh, check out their website it's birddogs.com use the promo code locked on nba at birddogs.com slash locked on NBA. The URL is on the screen there. And you are going to get yourself a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti style tumbler thrown into every order as well. So go check them out. Again, that's birddogs.com slash locked on NBA with the promo code locked on NBA. Get that free Yeti style tumbler and go check them out. Bird Dogs, it's all about the comfort, baby. 
All right, let's continue on here with your first listen of the day. Thank you to the everydayers who are checking out the show, as you always do. We love you, little sickos. Let us know in the comments if you are one of said sickos, so you guys can commiserate with one another about what it is to have to listen to me every day. Um, Let's uh, dive into pick number 13. We obviously have talked about this quite a bit. We'll do more deep dives. We'll kind of go full episodes on a lot of the potential guys at 13 for the Raptors. Um, If they do keep this pick which I imagine they probably will. Maybe some draft day trade makes them have to, you know, part with it to move up, whatever. We'll see. But if it's going to be 13, I think you could do a lot worse. And this draft, you know, I think there's a reason the Raptors prioritize keeping their pick in this draft versus next year's. It's as Raphael Barlow said on the Friday show when he joined me, you know, the sort of range of like 6 to 13, 14, all kind of feels very similar, could go in any order. And all of these guys project to be pretty good NBA players. It's a loaded, talented draft, and it's been branded as such basically since we started talking about the 2023 NBA draft. Um, you know, I guess a small note as well. I think it's a nice win that no Eastern Conference team is getting Victor Wembanyama. You don't need another sort of behemoth in the way when you got Giannis and the Sixers who maybe they don't last very long but the Celtics the Cavs like there's a lot of good teams in the Eastern Conference rising teams in the Eastern Conference I'm glad that the sort of talent is going out west with Wemby that's good that's fine the Spurs again I don't really I don't feel good about them or anything like that they don't they they don't need the good luck but hey good for them um either way Raptors at 13. I don't think there's like a big loss. Obviously, the expectations were not super high on them moving up anyway. And so I'm not like uh, all that bent out of shape about them not climbing in the lottery. And again, I'm not upset because at this spot, the number of guys who fit what the Raptors currently need, which is guard play and shooting, guard play and shooting and more guard play and shooting. There's just ample options there. You can kind of go different directions, right? You can do more on-ball guards like a Keontae George or a Kaysen Wallace. You can do more uh, as far as like wing shooting types, come around pin downs, Jordan Hawkins, Grady Dick. Uh, you know, there's Kobe Bufkin, who's maybe kind of a mix of all of them. There, there's, a, there's a lot of different options there at 13. And I think, you know, it's really necessary for the Raptors, I think, to go and get a good player who can play for you right now. Like, I, I know the project thing is always nice, the sort of tantalizing, ooh, look at this, like, 6'9 guy who's got defense. Like, we've been there before. It sometimes works. Sometimes you just got to get dudes who know how to play. And so I think that's what I'd like to see the Raptors do here. That said, if they can pull off something where they also end up moving Pascal Siakam and get into the upper part of the draft with the Blazers as the sort of main candidate, as I just talked about, you know, maybe that opens up some opportunity for a little bit more of a reach or a little bit more of a project there as well. If you can go make that deal and get a Scoot Henderson, and these are all wild hypotheticals, of course, always bet against trades actually happening. The most likely outcome is nothing happening at all. But if in that instance, you're able to convince the Blazers to part with the number three pick to get Pascal Siakam to pair with Dame, Then you get Scoot Henderson. Incredible. There's your guard play. It might develop into shooting. Right now, it's a little bit uneven from the three-point range, but he's obviously got the pull-up game and the mid-range game, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think you'd project forward that Scoot Henderson will at least be a fine shooter, a passable shooter at the very least. He's a very good prospect, super talented. These guys tend to figure things out. But uh, beyond that, you know... If you're at 13 as well, that maybe gives you a little more leeway to get a little bit more projecty with that pick, right? And you can go and say, "Ooh, Leonard Miller, he's hitting all his threes at the combine. He's looking really good. You know, obviously very raw, very talented, but very, very much in need of some polish. Maybe that's the kind of guy you go 
and pick up. There's also, uh, you know, Bilal Koulibaly, who we talked about on Friday with Rafael Barlow, who thinks is a very Raptorsy pick. Um, so maybe, you know, I'm not, I don't want to see the Raptors really make one of those sort of more risky plays at 13 as it stands right now. I'd rather just see them get someone who can fit on this team, fit with Scotty Barnes, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe can be a little bit more of a sort of set your watch to them type of player, um, which again, it's we're talking about 19, 20 year olds in the draft. Like there's no guarantee any of these guys are going to be anything in the NBA. There's all a crapshoot a lot of the time. Um, but, you know, you got to get what you can project forward a little bit based on what you have in terms of data, film, et cetera, et cetera. But if you can find a way uh, to get that third pick, it opens up the options to be a little bit more creative and risky and, uh, you know, going for ceiling and upside with that number 13 selection. You could also just do the thing where you, hey, you got Scoot Henderson. All right, let's also get another ready-made player like a Jordan Hawkins who can just jump in and play for you right away. Uh, I think that'd be perfectly fine as well. Um, but yeah, if you're able to kind of assemble, uh, you know, just if you get that 13th pick in addition to number three if you're able to make that deal which we're going to hear about that fake trade all over the place all over the internet for the next month and a half just be prepared for it some version of pascal to the blazers for number three is going to be a thing that's talked about um but if the the raptors are able to get both picks then 13 becomes even more interesting than it already is but even if it's just that they're at 13 the options available to them there seem pretty fascinating pretty interesting and i am all right with them just kind of go ahead and take a guy who maybe doesn't have the same sort of upside you've got scotty barnes on the team like that that's that's a helpful thing already you got pascal siakam on the team in this instance where you're not trading for number three you have guys who can run the show for you be your best players get supporting pieces this team badly needs supporting pieces complementary players guys who bring specific specialized skills and it seems like this is the range of the draft you want to be in. As you know, you know, obviously it'd be great to be at nine, so you could have your pick of the litter. But someone's going to slip through the cracks. Someone good and valuable and bringing the desired skills is going to be there for the Raptors at thirteen. There's there's just too many good players of that ilk for the, they're not for them all to go in the top twelve, for example. And there will be reaches. Someone's going to jump for Leonard Miller at eleven or something like that. The Thunder will probably do something crazy. All of that. Um, so there will be options, really good options. I think you should be pretty comfortable based on my rudimentary research and sort of digging into the draft stuff right now. I think you should feel pretty good about 13 being where the Raptors are, you know, again, it'd be nice to be fifth or sixth, but also, you know, as sort of a consolation for a season that they actually tried in at the end of the year to try to make a playoff push. They got better down the stretch. They made the act trade. They added a good player. As a consolation, the 13th pick in this draft, in that range, with those types of players available, I think you're perfectly fine. And I, I think it almost like justifies the decision to give it a shot and try to make the playoffs with a better player added to your team in Jakob Pertl. Um, you know, that 13th is not going to be a place where you're sitting there like, damn, this stinks. We're not like, this isn't going to be the situation where, you know, there's like 11 good players in the draft and there's a cutoff. There's more than that. And so you should feel pretty good about where the Raptors sit. I would argue. We'll come back on the other side. We'll leave the draft lottery stuff for now and get into some coaching stuff. I want to talk about Monty Williams a little bit and Becky Hammond, what went down uh, with her, the Vegas Aces, Derek Hamby. Uh, you know, not not the best, but also there are other NBA coaches who have done far worse and are coaching right now. And so maybe we don't need to do the whole double standard thing, huh? We'll get to that in just a sec. Before we dive into that, however, got to tell you about 
Locked on Blue Jays. Go check out. The Jays right now are embroiled in a feud with the New York Yankees. Uh, truthfully, when this sort of like unwritten rules of baseball stuff pops up, I just sort of stop talking or listening or thinking about the team for a few days. But if you are interested in the feud between the Yankees and Blue Jays, which is never a bad thing, it's always good to have that sports hate going on. Alec Manoa, Garrett Cole, etc., etc. Aaron Judge hitting bombs and looking into the dugout and cheating. Sticky stuff on Domingo Herman's hands. Go listen to Locked On Blue Jays for the Jays side of the perspective with Craig Ballard. Go check it. the show out wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. All right, let's continue on here with Coach Burblings, the coaching carousel, the ongoing, seemingly interminable search for the next Toronto Raptors coach, which we haven't gotten a whole lot of new intel on lately. Uh, but there's a couple people I want to talk about here a little bit. One who I have talked about a lot already, for, but some new news came out yesterday that could be maybe tied to the ultimate outcome here. Uh, Monty Williams as well, I want to dig into as well. He was let go by the Suns. The Suns, man, Matt Ishbia seems a little erratic, a little like one of those hands-on Mark Cuban owners. I, I don't know. Isaiah Thomas going to coach the, 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 the Suns? Great. Ask Raptors fans how Isaiah Thomas being even sort of involved with your team tends to go. Um, that would just be after getting rid of Sarver and seemingly sitting hitting the reset button isaiah thomas feels like the last guy to bring into a situation but whatever um i talk about matt ishbia because of course he let monty williams go a lot of the reporting from the insiders tim mcmahon in particular at espn suggested that this was like kind of telegraphed and that it was going to take a lot for monty williams to keep his job just because ishbia wanted to come in and do what new hands-on owners do which is change everything and put everything in their own image which is maybe a good thing probably a bad thing um monty williams a lot of success, obviously, with the, you know, the Pelicans before had a bit of a rough deal with the way that Pelicans team was built, but had some pretty decent runs, had that sweep over the Blazers a few years back, etc. Uh, and of course, made a finals with the Suns, made the second round the last couple of years, uh, exited in very poor fashion, of course. But I do think, you know, it's reported the Raptors are going to be in the conversation for Monty Williams. I think Shams was first on that. Uh, that's I would totally be into talking to Monty Williams and hearing what his pitch for the team would be. Maybe he just wants to not work. You know, that's also a thing here. I think he's still owed like $7 million a year for the next three years after being fired by the Suns. And so maybe he's cool to just chill and the you'd have to pay him a ton and really convince him and, and you know, give him a really good pitch to get him to come to your team. Um, as far as like a culture builder, though, I mean, Seems like everybody mostly loves Monty Williams, right? Like, he just seems like a guy who can kind of come in, command respect, uh, and, and sort of build a culture. They built certainly a culture there in Phoenix over the last few years out of a whole lot of nothing, right? Like, that there was a quite a shift there, I think, around the time Monty Williams came in as the head coach of the Phoenix Suns. Of course, the red flag with Monty Williams is what happened with DeAndre Ayton, and the just complete souring of that relationship. And as much as Aiton is a mercurial player, like you're the head coach, like you should probably not say out loud that you haven't talked to your disgruntled former first overall pick for an entire summer after you had a bit of a feud to end a season. Like, you know, as much as Aiton's probably responsible for how things have gone sour with him and the Suns, like Monty Williams shares blame in this as well, right? Like he's the coach. He's the one managing the room. He's the one managing the personalities. And, Clearly, it got away from him on this one. And so 
if you want to say like that sort of undoes his reputation as a culture builder who can foster harmony, I, you know, that's fair. Like he didn't handle the, the Aiden thing. Well, everyone in that Aiden situation seems like they're upset and angry and unhappy. And, uh, obviously Monty is tied up in that and part of it. So maybe that makes Monty Williams sort of disqualified considering what the Raptors are looking for in what their next coach would be or what they should be looking for, which is that culture, that sort of communication, that ability to get everybody on the same page. Williams has done it with the notable exception of their former first overall pick center, who's incredibly important to the team's chances of winning basketball games. And so we'll see. I I think it's more than worth reaching out and having an interview with Monty Williams for sure. I wouldn't be upset if he were the higher, but I do understand the sort of red flags there from the Aiton situation. And, you know, does that repeat itself with another young player on the Raptors? Who's to say? Becky Hammond, let's get to this one. So news yesterday out of the WNBA that the Vegas Aces have been stripped of their 2025 first round pick and Becky Hammond suspended two games uh, for comments made by Hammond to Derek Hamby, a player on the Aces, in connection with Hamby's recent pregnancy. Hamby's now on the LA Sparks, I believe. So Hammond violated the league's respect in the workplace policies. And so... Look, it's not an awesome look, for sure, to have issues tied to the pregnancy of one of your players and being involved in that to the point you get suspended for two games. Clearly, something went wrong there. It's not ideal. It, it, you know, if you're sort of looking at reasons to, you know, pick apart the case for Becky Hammond to be the coach of the Raptors, you would use this as like, hey, like we're looking for a, a culture of cohesion and togetherness. What does this do to sort of fit into that? That said... There are a lot of coaches in the NBA right now who have done far worse things, far worse misdeeds, and are coaching in the NBA. Ime Odoka was on the lottery dais last night for the Rockets. He got suspended for a year for an inappropriate relationship with a subordinate. Like, that's... That, that he's he's coaching, he's back. Like, he, that didn't cause, cost him his coaching career. Joe Mazzulla had a domestic violence, violence charge back when he was in college. Like, th- th- this is... Like, these guys are able to continue on their careers even through these misdeeds because that's just the way the NBA operates and and whatever. You can take your grievances with that. I certainly do, but that's the way the league tends to run. And so it would be a wild double standard to say that this two-game suspension for Becky Hammond, while reprehensible for whatever happened, obviously we don't have full details exactly of what the comments were, et cetera, et cetera, but clearly it was enough to warrant the two-game suspension. You know, there's no reason why that should disqualify Becky Hammond from being the coach of the Raptors more than any other coach. They were rumored to be in on Ime Odoka. Like, th- it would be a ridiculous double standard to say that this rules Becky Hammond out from being the coach of the Raptors. And, you know, people will use that double standard because people are ignorant. But, like, ultimately, the argument here is does what happened with Hammond and the Aces, does it sort of tie into... The sort of the, the what you need from a coach if you're the Raptors and does that work against her case of being exactly who that is? I'm not here to say that. Obviously, this is something that the front office will sort out in interviews and all of that. I would still have no problem if the Raptors wanted to bring in Becky Hammond. I, I think she would be very good. She's a very talented coach. She knows what the hell she's doing. And, and so uh, as far as, you know, if that's the Raptors, if that's the prerogative, the way they go. Again, she shouldn't be the victim of a double standard because she misstepped when all sorts of other NBA coaches continue to be NBA coaches despite their own missteps. And so, um, you know, ultimately, 
the Becky Hammond thing still feels wildly unlikely anyway because of the timing with the Aces season beginning and her being a defending champion and her having said that she enjoys the work-life balance she's able to achieve with the 40-game WNBA season, gets to spend time with family. Like, it's a pretty decent gig down there for Becky Hammond. Um, and so I don't even know if this changes at all any sort of likelihood that she would be the Raptors head coach anyway. I think it was always a pretty low chance, but maybe this knocks the percentage chance down just a tiny little bit. We'll see. But that's the kind of latest on Raptors coaching candidates. I, I still, you know, maintain just get someone who can command a room and figure out the X's and O's stuff later. Obviously, all of these potential coaches have X's and O's expertise. I wouldn't say that's Monty Williams' sort of like main strength or quality from what people tend to say about what he does as a coach, but uh, that's what you have assistance for. That's what you have uh, game plan meetings for. We have film people for. Like you can figure out the X's and O's stuff. The biggest part of coaching, I think, in today's NBA is managing personality, personalities and getting the whole ship rowing in the same direction. And Monty Williams seems like a pretty decent uh, candidate to do that, despite the DeAndre Ayton stuff. Anyway, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. We'll be back again tomorrow. I believe it's Jamar Hines Day on tomorrow's show. So we'll bring in Jamar. We'll figure out something to talk about. Uh, and then Friday, hoping to line up a podcast with Mike Richmond of Lockdown Blazers to begin fake trade silly season. Because boy, oh boy, that is uh, something that is going to just be all of our lives for the next month and a bit here, I think. Um, fake trade Friday will commence, by the way. We're going to probably start it next Friday. We'll bring in listeners who have suggested trades in the Discord onto the show to pitch their trades to me as I slap them down like I'm Ben Wallace at the rim. But uh, <laughs> it'll still be a good time. But Friday, we'll do the first fake trade Friday with Mike Richmond of Lockdown Blazers, hopefully. I'm hoping he's available. Fingers crossed. But he's usually around. He's a good dude. We love Mike Richmond. With that, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for making us your first listen. Thank you for making this an everyday occurrence for you. The everydayers are our favorite people in the whole wide world. My favorite people in the whole wide world. That's for damn sure. Um, and uh, appreciate all the support. Appreciate all the the, the, the comments and back and forth and in the Discord. It's always a really good time to interact with you all in there. Uh, jump on in. Link is in the description. So with that, we'll leave it there. Subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff as well. Tell a friend. Subscribe on YouTube. And we will talk to you again on Thursday with our pal Jamar Hines. Thanks. Bye-bye.